When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Patriot Nation Podcast. All right, welcome into another edition of the Patriot Nation podcast. Of course, presented to you by CL uh, by CLNS by FanDuel, the official sports wagering partner of CLNS Media. Go to FanDuel.com/slash/Boston to sign up today. And Matt, we are officially through Championship Weekend. There is one football game left in the 2023-2024 season. It's pretty crazy, and. This weekend's games were interesting, I guess. I mean, the second one obviously had a lot of drama. The first one was just a complete snooze fest, I thought. I I enjoyed the defense and the drama of it. I enjoyed – I was rooting for Baltimore there, but I did enjoy, you know, in kind of a – I don't know, a negative sense. I enjoyed the the – dumb plays we saw the Ravens make for a full 60 minutes there, you know, enjoy might not be the right word for it, but just, uh, I was, I was in awe of what I was seeing in that game. I'll tell you. I I do like good defense. I enjoyed watching what Steve Spagnuolo threw up there for the Chiefs. That part was fun. It's gotta be, it's gotta be one of the worst feelings to be a Ravens fan right now, because the Ravens should be dominant. They should be really good, and they're just not. They just can't compete in the playoffs. Lamar's now two and four in the playoffs. It's it's bad, and like, and it wasn't all Lamar. Lamar is bad. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't all Lamar. And it just it felt like that team just completely disappeared. the 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 defense, after a really really rough first few drives, figured it out and got it together. But the offense just – I don't understand what they were doing. It made absolutely no sense. Well, I think that you saw the panic set in. I, I don't I don't think it's fair to lump this in with the rest of the Lamar playoff performances we've seen because that was a very different offensive system, uh, different offensive coordinator there. And I think the reasons why the Ravens lost this game were different from why they lost some of the previous postseason ones. Um I mean, I think you see the inexperience of Todd Munkin in the NFL, I think, was huge as an offensive coordinator. Mm. Obviously, the youth and immaturity of Zay Flowers you saw on full display as a rookie. Um, the injury to Mark Andrews, you kind of you didn't see him out there. He was a non-factor and a guy who's supposed to be the Travis Kelsey of the Ravens. They really missed having him out there. And uh you know, it was one of those that I think the Chiefs were the only defense the Ravens played this year that actually had the corners to cover these receivers well. And they realized pretty early on, we can cover them. We're going to play man coverage and we're going to blitz Lamar, but we're going to like 
uh, it seemed like a lot of slow blitzes. You know, we're going to really, we're going to rush three and we're going to have two other guys in there somewhere. And we're going to make sure Lamar can't scramble. He's going to have to throw and none of his receivers are going to be open. And Lamar is a very good quarterback and a very good passer. But the one thing he's never been, he's never been the guy who's going to stand in the pocket and throw guys open 20 yards down the field in the way that Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady would do. He's just, that's not his game. And, you know, being able to slow down that offense and what it all, what it came down to too, was that the chiefs got up early and you could see the Ravens panicked. They didn't know what to do. Pat, do you want to know how many times the running backs for the Ravens got the ball and got handed the ball in this game? Oh, I know. Oh, I know. But enlighten, enlighten everyone that hasn't heard. Eight times. The Ravens had 57 offensive plays. Ten of them were designed runs. The other 47 were dropbacks. And there were some, you know, RPO there that could have gone one way or the other. But the Chiefs bullied them in the run game on the first possession, took a very quick lead and looked unstoppable on offense to start and scared the Ravens away from their running game yeah. right into exactly what the Chiefs were hoping they were going to do. And I think they made some adjustments in the second half. The offense looked a ton better in the second half, even with all of the negative stuff we're talking about. This should have been a tied game probably. But, you know, all those personal fouls in the defense hands oh, the Chiefs God. three points at the end of the half. And Zay Flowers with a really just dumb couple play sequence there turns what should have been seven points into none. Yep. Zay, sc- Zay scores a touchdown there and you keep the Chiefs off the board before the half and we're tied at 14 in the fourth quarter. And we might be talking about this differently. We might be talking about Lamar overcoming a great defensive performance to get his team to the Super Bowl. But uh, right. somehow after what we've seen in the Chiefs this year, it was the Ravens weapons that were the ones letting down their quarterback and not the Chiefs. Yeah, what's crazy. So by the way, just to correct you, uh, their running backs had six carries. Two of those carries went to Zay Flowers on like basically bubble screens oh, yeah. that ended up being backwards throws. So they they handed the ball off to their running back six times. Six. Mm. That's embarrassing for a team that in in the Chiefs that like yeah they can stop the run but they're not the best against the run. And for you know the Chiefs again the the Ravens again were the number one rushing team in the league. It ju- it makes absolutely no sense why you would go into that game and say we're going to run this ball down their throat until they absolutely cannot stop it. And we're just going to keep doing it and eventually it's going to work. Maybe it won't at first, but eventually it's going to work because we have the horses to do it. You saw when they ran they had some success running the ball. This is the type of stuff that I'm like, wh- wh- how, what are you looking at that you don't understand that? And that's the stuff for me where it's like, if you get stopped once, I mean, just, just as an example, if we just go through it, okay? Gus Edwards had three carries for 20 yards. Now, Justin said with three carries for three yards, but Gus Edwards averaged 6.7 yards per carry. Now, I know one of them was a 15-yard carry, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that you, like, just freaking run the ball to Gus Edwards. I don't understand what they were doing. It made no sense. Lamar carried eight times. To me, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. They should have had more designed runs for him. And, and so, I believe it was only two designed runs for Lamar, and one of those was that fourth down conversion. Right, right. And so it made no sense. And look, I mean, you look at the look at the other guys, and Zay Flowers, of course, had that awful sequence. He was the only guy that showed up. One for 39 for Aglor. 
four for 34 for Justice Hill, three for 22 for Odell Beckham, two for 16 for Likely, one for 16 for, for Edwards. You mentioned Jackson. Uh, Andrews got hurt. Lamar had one catch for 13 yards. Rashad Bateman, one for two. So, like, it's those of those things that I'm looking at, like, nothing was working. And so when things aren't working, go back to what you do best. Run the ball. Yeah. Lamar. Lamar's the most explosive athlete on the field. Get him the ball. Get him the ball and see what happens. Or run. They're trying to run these crazy long plays. Run a quick slant to Zay Flowers. Get him the ball like three yards from the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Instead of two yards behind the line of scrimmage, get him th- the ball over the middle of the field, three yards down the line of scrimmage, and bam, see what happens. You know, like it, it was those type of things. I just had no idea. And, and I'll tell you. So someone, who was it, James, uh, right here, he said, you know, can't tell if the Chiefs are super good or other teams just kind of choking. This is what happened to the Patriots. When the Patriots yeah. were that good, teams got scared. They got scared. They said, we got to beat the Patriots. Oh, my God, we're playing the Patriots. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. we got to be perfect. we got to be perfect. we got to do something different than we've done. They think we're going to run the ball, so we got to pass it, and we have to score a ton of points because they're going to score it. And it's like, just play your freaking game, man. Play your game and don't do stupid things. And the Ravens did stupid things over and over and over and over and over and didn't play their game, and that's why they lost. And that's why they're going to be at home. They should have won yep. that game. That's a winnable game, and they lost it. Yep. And I think, too, uh, the guy who's not getting nearly enough credit for this entire thing, Chris Jones. We yeah. go back to the Bills game for a second. Everybody talks about, oh, why did Josh Allen throw to the end zone instead of checking it down on that play near the end? The guy was open in the end zone. The reason yeah. the ball – didn't get caught. The reason it was off target is because Chris Jones hit Josh Allen as he was trying to get rid of that thing. And then this game, I mean, Chris Jones was unblockable on the defensive line and he had a pass breakup in there. The Mm -hmm. Ravens had one of those jailbreak screens or whatever, where the chiefs were bringing a blitz. It was third and nine and would have been an easy first down. I think to say flowers. Yeah. Yep. And Chris Jones comes across the line of scrimmage, hand up, bats down the screen pass right under the air. And that's, I mean, I think that in some ways the story of the day here, this is a Ravens team that all season long has dominated, not just, you know, by running the football, they've dominated time of possession. They've controlled the games that way. And we look at what happened in the first half. And if you watch the game, you already know where this is going because you felt it. Mm -hmm. The Ravens drives a minute and 34 seconds, two minutes and 43 seconds, a minute and 30 seconds, two minutes and 29 seconds, a minute and one second, and then kneel down at the end of the half, four seconds. So their first first possession drives, no way to establish a rhythm, no way. I mean, they just they literally were not on the field enough to figure out what the Chiefs defense was doing to start designing counters for it. Yeah. Either uh, you couldn't establish a rhythm, couldn't get past catchers involved. Only fifty seven plays on offense. That's way less than you usually have, and a lot of that was in the second half. And while that's going on, Chiefs. 10 plays, 86 yards, 545 seconds. 16 plays, 75 yards, 9 minutes. Got a 7-play, 20-yard, 3-minute and 8-second. Chiefs had a a 20-yard drive in there that was longer in time of possession than any that the Ravens had (laughs) in the first half. Um, And they had two shorter ones to end the half, but they ate up the entire first 20 minutes of the game and just – you know, dinked and dunked underneath and were able to break tackles and pick up first downs that way. And that scared the hell out of the Ravens. That was the one, I mean, they, the Chiefs did to the Ravens what the Ravens have been doing to teams all year long by controlling the clock and making you play from behind. And um, the Ravens just do not have 
with Mark Andrews banged up and Zay Flowers, you know, making the dumb plays he did, they don't have the personnel to overcome that kind of deficit against a really good defense. 100%. By the way, just one quick correction for you. Uh, that is future Patriot Chris Jones. Um, <laughs> we've talked about that before. Old man, Mom benches here. Uh, I mean, I fun. would die. I would die if you put Barmore and him next to each other. Oh my God, dude! We're we, we gonna have to. We'll have the Christian, Christian, and Chris defense. And, yeah, that's right. As as Ashton said, that'd be a crime for too much talent. It would just be. It'd be the best offensive, best defensive well, line in, in the game. I'm I'm imagining a scenario where you you put Barmore like. At the over, you know, what you do is you put Chris Jones over like the center and then Barmore out over like the guard and then Judon outside the tackle. And then you bring Chris Jones (laughs) on like a stunt and have him wrap around all of those guys. That'd be fun. Nah, it'd just be, it'd be foolish. Um, Anyways, all right, let's get into, uh, yeah. So, so long story short, Baltimore blew it. In my opinion, Baltimore blew it. And look, Mahomes is going to get, Mahomes is getting the accolades. And look, he had two great drives. You know what this reminded me of, which is funny. And I know, I know it's it was the end of um, it was the end of um, Jesus Christ Manning's career, but that 2013, I believe it was 2013, or was it 2015? I can't remember if it was 13 or 15. No, no, it was 2015. That, that 2015 yeah. AFC Championship game in Denver. Oh yeah, yeah. Where. Uh, Manning had the two touchdown passes to Owen Daniels to start the game, basically. Put the Patriots in a hole, 14-0, or 14-3. They may have kicked a field goal in there somewhere. They did. And and they did nothing. Like, the Broncos did nothing the rest of the game. And the Patriots just couldn't move the ball on their defense. Now, the Patriots' offense was incredibly hurt. They had no receivers. Everyone was banged up. Edelman was the only guy playing, and he was banged up. And it was just like they had nobody. It was, it was a banged-up element and a banged-up Gronk and right. a center who was giving away the snap count on every single play <laughs> right. um, against, you know, the probably – that's probably the hottest streak you've ever seen from a pass rusher in the modern NFL. I mean, 100%. Yeah, Von Miller is incredible. I'm not even mad about 2015 anymore. Like, I, you watch – you go back and watch those games now, and all you can do is tip your cap and respect and be like, you know, right. the, the Pats lost it all out there. That was all they had that year. And yep. they came up two points short on the road against the eventual Super Bowl champion. You know what? Yeah, there's worse ways to go out. Yeah, true. And you can be pissed. I mean, if you want to be pissed about something, you can be pissed about earlier in the year. But that's not, that's a conversation for a different day. Um, yes. But nevertheless, it, it's one of those things that, you know, that's what it reminded me of. And, and again – Mahomes is obviously significantly better than than Manning was in 2015, but like that's the type of game it was where they had nothing. He had nothing. He did nothing in the second half. They couldn't move the ball. They couldn't score. But he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't lose the game for his team, and he did enough at the beginning of the game that you know they couldn't come back from it. And that really, for me, is like, all right, we're good. You know, it's almost like we're good. I got this, guys. Don't worry about it. I'll score at the beginning, and then we'll just take, we'll just ride it out the rest of the game, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and I, you know, I think you got to credit the Ravens' defense too for the way they stiffened up in the second yeah. half. And I mean, I think I, after the first two Chiefs possessions, I was sitting there thinking, I feel like the Ravens just played really, really, really good defense to start this game, and they haven't gotten a single stop. They even, like they've been first downs every single series. And it was just like at a certain point you're throwing your hands up and like I don't I don't know what else the defense can do and eventually you know that uh, some of the plays started to break down and they were able to cover guys better but at that point the damage was kind of was yeah. done 
Um, well, at 14-7, when Lamar fumbles, you're like, I was like, the game's over. Like, that's it. It's over. And then they stuffed him. And I was like, you know? all right, there's life. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it was they, – they pounced back. But this is this is the first game all season for the Chiefs where they didn't have a single wide receiver drop. Yeah. And it felt like that was kind of like, like – you know, this is – what have we talked about all year long? The, the guys around them can't do anything. And with the, the game on the line, a trip to the Super Bowl on the line, it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling catching a ball while falling down deep behind the defense. And that's the second game in a row where he's had a big catch like that. Yeah, it wasn't catching those earlier in the year. Now it's the playoffs, and he catches both of them. Like that's just they—they yep. they finally got the bounces going their way. Well, you got to remember now, Kelsey with eleven catches. Rasheed Rice was a the guy they were targeting a ton. Him, he had eight catches for forty-six yards. They—that's the one thing. And and so we sit here and talk about Mahomes and so on and so. Forth. He dink and dunk, man. He he attempted what one pass that traveled over ten yards in the air, and it was the it was the MVS one at the end of the year, or at the end of the game. It might have been fifteen. That might be wrong with the ten, but he didn't throw the ball down the field. He took what the Ravens gave him, and trusted his guys that they would get open and maybe break a tackle or two and pick up a first down. And the Ravens didn't do that. The Ravens were trying to throw the ball deep, and it was just I, yeah. I don't understand the game plan there, and, I, and they hit a few. But they hit a few. Uh, Zay caught a few, and you know that's what led to him having you know over 100 yards receiving. But it was just like I didn't I didn't get it right. It was like well, just the, take what's there. Well, the, I think the big difference there was the Ravens played a ton of zone. Yeah. Um, so you know you could dink and dunk and find some holes in the zones, and the Chiefs are just playing straight up man coverage. And you know you can't you can't dink and dunk against that. You need to wait until somebody works his way open. And outside of that one big safe flowers touchdown, you know, late in the down where he's able to extend a play and create some yeah. Ravens really didn't do a whole lot of that. Um and that was I think you saw the difference in the skill position guys because like Odell Beckham was fine to start the year, but he hasn't improved. Aguilar's Aguilar Beatman has been just a guy out there for the Ravens. And meanwhile, the Chiefs, you know, Rasheed Rice has blossomed into something and kind of felt like Travis Kelsey was holding back a little bit in the regular season. And now that it's the playoffs, he's going he's going all out, which, you know, I don't blame him for. I think uh, if, if Gronk had done that a little bit, he may have played a little bit longer uh, in yeah. his career. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, the, he preserving his body now it's the playoffs, it's full go. And just those, those two with Mahomes and – um, yeah, and you know, we're talking about like the Chiefs offense, like they did well. It was just 17 points. The Ravens defense did a really good job. It was just enough. The story of this game to me is Chris Jones, Legarius Sneed, Trent McDuffie, you know, what those guys did for Kansas City. Yeah. And I think you're totally right about that. I mean, what's again, to me, what's crazy about it is that, you know, it's man, they just had they had the opportunities and Lamar. So you, you talked about them playing man. Why aren't you running Lamar on every play? If you're going to play man against me, and by the way, Willie Gay's hurt, didn't play. He's the spy guy. And so if you're playing man, bro, I'm I'm dropping back, but I'm running a QB draw. See you later. And and Chiefs. the defensive line was Chiefs really good. Like, but the Chiefs had like two QB spies on every play, which was the I tough part of it. Every time they I don't tried. Care. I don't I think care. you also saw it on Sunday that Lamar is not the same athlete that he was in 2019. He's still an elite athlete, but he wasn't yeah. breaking tackles that way. He wasn't you know that fourth down run he had in 2019, that's a touchdown. He takes that to the house. Right. Sunday, he he pulls up short and you know goes down. 
Um, he's just though he's in some ways Lamar looked like Mahomes out there the way he was. You know, they they're willing to give him as much time in the pocket as he wanted, sacrificing, saying we're just not we're not going to come at you aggressively, but we're going to make sure you have nowhere to go. You have to sit in the pocket and beat us that way. And he couldn't. The receivers couldn't get open for him. It's a ball yeah. game. Well, and I wonder, you know, you wonder, it's because of the deflategate coming back to uh, to bite Baltimore, but they haven't they haven't been successful really since they won the Super Bowl back in 2012. They haven't really no. done much in the playoffs. And, you know, and again, Lamar's 2-4 and four now in the playoffs. And you have to wonder when defenses tighten up, when it becomes more difficult and more muddled in the middle, and you don't have the time to throw it on field, and you're playing against better defenses in every game, how well can he really do? And and you want and again, he's a phenomenal player, probably gonna win MVP for the second time. But like, will he ever get you to a Super Bowl? And I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't I'm not saying it's a definitive yes or no, but I don't know the answer to that question. And it makes you wonder, Jaden Daniels is a guy that, you know, his ceiling is Lamar Jackson. That's his ceiling. Is he a better passer than Lamar Jackson? I don't think so. No. And no. so you look at Lamar and you say, well, Lamar's not successful in this situation. Is he going to be that much successful? And I don't know the – I mean, again, not saying that Jaden Daniels isn't going to be a great player and Lamar's a phenomenal quarterback and he gets you into the playoffs and he wins MVPs and he's he's a weapon. He's unbelievable. But if he can't win in the playoffs, does any of that stuff really matter? Because no. I don't really care about everything else. Like – Great. Win me 10, 12 games. I'm worried about hanging banners. And if you can't help me hang a banner, then what good are we? You know? Yeah. But well, I also think it's it's tough to evaluate because this this Ravens offense, too, is like there's so many, not question marks, but things about this game that you don't know how they project forward, you know? Right. What does Todd Munkin do if he gets the chance to, to call this game again, knowing what happened? I think he probably calls it differently, and I think he probably does a better job. Does Zay Flowers make that mistake in year two? Right. I, I would. I would hope not. Mark Andrews is probably healthy. You know, the next time that you do yeah. this, uh, I think the big thing for the Ravens is their offensive line is not what it was in 2019 when Lamar was completely unstoppable, and that's a spot where they could probably, you know, use use some reinforcements. And if you're going to commit to the running game and being able to do that all the time, then I think you need guys who can maul a little bit more and probably at the tackle spot. They've had a rotation at the tackle spot all year. We haven't talked about that. The tackle spot is almost like what New England's been been doing all season where they're just rotating guys and still like figuring it out. They got guys playing through injury and right. uh, that's a spot they need to figure out. And yeah, it, it feels like they're it felt like on Sunday their offense needed one more guy to create space or, you know, do something. They need one yeah. guy who can get open versus man coverage. If you get that and you can force the defense to play into zones, there's bigger passing lanes for Lamar and scrambling can open things up. And then you go to man, you're going to have the option to beat them still. It means it means you to double somebody in man coverage. Now that's not that a guy who's not spying the quarterback. Lamar has more options there. And that's what Mark Andrews is supposed to be. He's supposed to be their Kelsey, like I said before, but he was, just was not that guy. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So we'll see. All right, let's just briefly, I want to talk about the Chiefs because – we're already getting the Mahomes-Brady comparisons. I know you're not discussing it, but we're going to discuss it because we have to discuss it. You're getting trusted people, okay? Legitimate people are giving, are making Andy Reid, Bill Belichick comments, which is insane. But 
you know, he, here's the thing, and, and let's just be frank about it. What Patrick Mahomes is doing in the NFL has not been seen since Tom Brady did it. The problem that I have is that Tom Brady did this specific Super Bowl run twice. Once yeah. when he was a good quarterback, not the best quarterback in the league, but he was a good quarterback. He was phenomenal in big moments. And he was a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Not top one, but a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And then elevated his play in the biggest moments of the season. He did it once there at the beginning of his career. He did it again at the end of his career. Where he was the best quarterback in the league. And won. And was a big reason that they won. And in the middle, won two MVPs, right? And took them to two other Super Bowls that they weren't able to win for various reasons, right? And so... I don't have a problem with saying Patrick Mahomes is number two on the list. I don't have a problem with saying Patrick Mahomes is, you know, does things that I've never seen a quarterback do before. I don't know if that's 100% true, but fine, fine. But I'm not going to sit here and listen to people talk about how he's already better than Tom Brady. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, Jordan didn't need 11 rings to pass Bill Russell. And I'm like, hey. You freaking morons. Nobody ever called Bill Russell the greatest of all time. I think Bill Russell is the greatest of all time. He's got 11 championship rings. He's got two gold medals, and he's got two NCAA championships. The guy's a winner. He wins at everything. He won his entire career. He was the first black coach in the history of the NBA. He was one of the first guys to win as a player coach. The guy did everything. The guy did everything. And so, like – New guys don't want to call him the greatest of all time because Jordan's the greatest of all time because he played in the modern era and Bill Russell played against plumbers. That's the argument. Fine, fine, fine. I'm not going to – I can't get into that discussion right now because it pisses me off, but I'm not going to get into it. But the point is, is that people are making that argument already. And it's like Brady has seven, bro, seven championships. He didn't play – he wasn't playing against plumbers, sir. He was playing against yeah. Peyton Manning and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers – and, oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, he was playing against all those guys, and he beat them all, all of them. And so yeah. I don't even miss me with that argument, man. I think Mahomes is on his way. He's on his way, and right now it's it's impossible to deny right now. He's on his way. If he stays on this trajectory, he's going to either catch Brady or pass Brady. Yeah. But until that happens, well, until he does yeah, it, well, come on. But I, I think you can make the argument even simpler here. People are acting like what Mahomes is doing right now has never been done. And they're talking about four four Super Bowls in five years going to him. You don't have to go back a decade to see Tom Brady do the exact same thing. Right. right. Like, it's just, like, what are we what are we talking about here? He literally just did a staff. Mahomes goes next year. Yeah, we can say this has never been done before. But four and five years? Yeah, Brady did that. And he also went on the road to go to the Super Bowl. It his last AFC championship in those. We all know who he beat in that one. Right. Like, let's, it's, you know, Mahomes is fantastic. He's the greatest player in the NFL right now. And like you said, if he stays at this pace and plays as long as Brady did, or, you know, anywhere near as long as Brady did, he's going to go down as the GOAT. And I will give right. him his flowers in yeah. due time. But, you know, we're not there yet. Um, and I'd also, like, I don't think we have to, play this game of every time somebody does well, we're comparing them to the greatest of all time. Why are we doing that? Why can't we just enjoy what we're seeing for what it is? Mahomes mm -hmm. is fantastic. He is incredibly entertaining to watch. He's really good at what he does. 
And, you know, it, obviously the media narratives about him can get tired, but separating that from who he is as an athlete, I really enjoy watching Patrick Mahomes play. He's fun to watch play football. He does stuff that a lot of people don't do. And I like, yeah. I like watching that happen. Um, we can sit back and enjoy that and say that it's special and he's doing things we haven't seen before in the NFL without saying that just because we haven't seen it before means he's automatically better than somebody else. We can, we are actually allowed to let the dust settle on these things before we start having takes on it. <laughs> right. hundred percent. And, and look, by the way, I was fact checked by my dad that, uh, Bill Russell only won one gold medal, not two. Sorry about that. Um, but <laughs> nevertheless, the, the big thing for me is that, you know, we, we're always in a rush to declare this. We're, we're in a rush to, oh, he's this and he's that. And he's it. And it, like you said, enjoy it while it lasts. Just enjoy it. If Patrick Mahomes yeah. does, if Patrick Mahomes retires tomorrow, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback already. That's fine. He's already a top he's, – he's at minimum a top 10 or right. top 5 quarterback, depending on you know, how you want to weigh different things already in his career, and that's incredibly yes. impressive. To me, if he if he wins in two weeks, to me, he's on he's on the Mount Rushmore, in my opinion. Yeah. Of yeah quarterbacks I think he's he'll, – right. he'll, he'll be past Manning at that point and probably, yep. to me, on the level with Montana probably. One less ring, but yeah. he'll – still. Yeah, but the way he's done it, I think you can make that argument that he's better anyway. Right, and so that's that's kind of the that's the thing, and that's okay. That's okay to say that, but it's also not. He's not there yet. He's not the greatest of all time. Sorry, and again, the ones that I always come back to about Tom Brady, and you can say whatever you want and throw out all the stats and say everything. And for those of you listening out there, okay, here's your ammo. Someone says to you, Mahomes is the greatest of all time. Here's the one you can throw back. Nobody, and I'm gonna tell you right now. Nobody is ever going to touch this, ever. Tom Brady has 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 lead-changing drives in the fourth quarter or overtime of the playoffs. When I say lead-changing drives, that means either he tied the game or the game was tied and he took the lead or he was losing and took the lead. Is that in the playoffs or is that the Super Bowl? In the Super Bowl. Okay. In the Super Bowl. He has 10 lead-changing drives in the fourth quarter overtime. That is Is absolutely outrageous. I just want to go through here and see see if I can name these two. He had one against the Rams. One against the Rams. He had two against the Panthers, I believe. Two against the Panthers. They went down after that Moose Muhammad touchdown and took the lead. Um, none against the he had Eagles. one against the Eagles. Against the, I'm counting it. They scored at the, the the drive didn't start in the fourth quarter, but it ended in the fourth quarter. Ended. So I'm counting it. Yeah, they had one against the Giants. They had one against uh, the Giants. The first no, Giants game. Not not eleven. That's five. Not eleven. Had one in 2014. Yep. Uh, they had was this fourth quarter or overtime? Fourth quarter or overtime. Then it's two in 2016. Two in 2016. Game and the game winning. Yep. 2018 is just the one. Just the one. Um, and how many are we at now? We're at nine right now. Did he have one? He didn't no, have he must one. Be no, uh, I'm trying to hold on. We missed one. Oh no, no, he had two in uh in the first one. No, he didn't. No, that's not right. No, he didn't. What the hell, dude? Somewhere. 
Hold on. Um, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of the uh, of the one of the one that we're missing because we're we are definitely missing did one. Did he have? Did he? He didn't have three in the Carolina one, did he? I don't think he did. No, no, no he didn't have he three did. in any games. He definitely didn't have three in any games. He had one against St. Louis. He had, yeah, two. Oh, did they? They did have one in the second Giants one, didn't they? Because they had a. Did they have a field goal drive in the fourth quarter to go ahead? I think like on. fifteen. The score no, in that didn't. game. Was so they good. didn't. No, they didn't score in the fourth quarter in that game. Oh. Oh, we totally forgot the Eagles Super Bowl in there, the second Eagles Super Bowl. That's where it was. The second Eagles Super Bowl, the loss. That's correct. Yep, there's yeah. the other one. I have entirely pushed that game out of my mind. Yeah, that one, I try not to think about that one. <laughs> I haven't watched the highlights for that one ever. Never will. I don't need that. Right. Yeah, it was the Gronk, the Gronk touchdown in that game yeah. that, that took the lead. Yep. So there's your 10. So, yep. so 10 drives in the fourth quarter overtime of the Super Bowl. And again, it's not the playoffs. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that's and also played like 10 Super Bowls, which well, is also I mean. something that, you know, Mahomes, right. Mahomes could have a fantastic career, go down as the greatest of all time and not play in 10 Super Bowls. You know, yeah. there was a, yeah, so right. incredible. And so it's just, it, it's one of those things for me that like, I just, we just, it's not even an argument until you, until you do something like that. And Mahomes, I think has two. I think Mahomes has two. Because um, he had drives. one. Yeah, he had one against he had one against the Niners, and I think he had one last year as well. I think. Yes. Oh, yeah, they had the game-winning drive. Yeah. Right. So he's got two. Second on the list, by the way. There's two guys tied for second on the list, by the way. Do you know there? Is it going to be Montana's one? Right. Nope. Montana does not have three. Montana has one. Is it going to be? Is it going to be like Terry Bradshaw or something like that? Nope. Oh, Eli Manning is he on there? Eli Manning. Yeah. Like he has three. Troy Aikman? Nope. This guy didn't do it in one game, right? No. Okay. How far back are we talking here? Uh, the Patriots also played this guy in the Super Bowl. And he has one of them against the Patriots. Oh, excuse it. Oh, man. Oh, Kurt Warner? Bingo. Yeah. So him and Eli both have three. Three. Yeah. That's second all time. <laughs> so, yeah. like, come on, you know. And have, having two is incredibly that's impressive. What I mean. That's what I mean. That's like, like, it's, that's all, that's like dream. <laughs> right, right. And so to have eight is just – to have ten is just stupid. It's just stupid. Yeah. So that's yeah. the one for me. It's like anyone, anytime anyone brings up Brady versus Mahomes, just throw that stat back in their face and just say, hey, look, man. It's, yep. He's got 10, okay? like, and there's, and there's one game in there where Mahomes doesn't have one of those drives, and it's the game he played against Brady because they got blown out. That's correct. Yep. And and, and look, his, his offensive line was terrible and it was in shambles, and I get it. I understand. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and like Brady was what? He's what, 3-1 and one against Mahomes? And he got, if, if I'm remembering it correct, I don't I don't know all no. the blocks. He, might, he well, lost. Didn't he lose to... Didn't he lose to him an opening night in Mahomes' like first no. or second start? Or was that Alex Smith? That was Alex Smith in 2017, the Kareem Hunt game. Okay, so we only played him that one. It was the Nikhil Harry. In, no, the Chiefs came in in 2018, 43-40 finish. 
catch to Gronk, put him in the field goal range, Goskowski okay. with it. 43 points in that game. They had, what, 37 in the AFC Championship that year, but yeah. 31 on, on Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Obviously not on Mahomes. He's not right, playing defense, course, yeah. but like yeah. this is – it's not like Brady was winning these games against Mahomes because of the defense. It was the offense getting it done in all three of them. True. Um, which True. is how he beat him in those, those big games. So, yeah, yeah I think – yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Let's let's take a quick break and let's go into this uh, game. The other game we're gonna, because we're going to get into it in this in this Lions Niners thing. I can already tell you. Oh, it's going to be bad. So <laughs> here we go. We got some strong opinions. So so here we go. We're trying not to go too long, but you know, be here a while. It is what it is. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21-plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Iowa, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right. Okay. So, second second game. I just a new low. Just a new low for Detroit sports. The Lions had found every single possible way to lose. And they finally get to the NFC Championship game. And they're up 17 at the half. And they lose 34-31. The game was tied. 27 unanswered. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Just absolutely I, incredible. The game was tied by the end of the third quarter. It's just like, unbelievable. I, I, the first guy I think we got to give a shout out to here too is Kyle Shanahan. Because how for how long do you think he's had 28-3 to three in his head? And to finally, it's not the same, but to get over that in some ways and to be the team with the second half comeback. Yeah. Um, you know, Shanahan is an elite coach. And I think he's gotten you know unlucky in there at, at points, and I feel very happy for him to finally have a team. You know, yep. in the second half, have the luck go their way and make something like this happen. I don't know if they'll beat the Chiefs. We're going to find out in two weeks, but uh, they, they won't. This, but... this is it was an impressive victory. I honestly have no idea what's going to happen in the Super Bowl. I think I wouldn't either team winning wouldn't surprise me, but uh, I was impressed by what we saw from the 49ers and their poise and. Honestly, I think most of what we saw on Sunday was that the 49ers really were the better team than the Lions. And, you know, over the course of a quarter, it's possible for the Lions to beat the, the 49ers. But 
it was much harder over the course of a full game once the 49ers found what's working and were able to just stick to it. And, yeah. You know? I, I made an argument on Twitter, and, and I want to get your thoughts on it. And it's close. And I'm not saying it's, it's you know, bar none or anything like that, but excluding the quarterback, take the quarterback out of the situation and just look at the skill position players. I think San Fran has an argument for the greatest collection of skill players in NFL history. You talk about Debo and Ayuk, who are both – Top 10 wide receivers, probably. Kittle, who's a top 10 tight end. And McCaffrey, who is the single best running back in the league. And, I mean, they're just, they are incredible. They're incredible. And what's crazy to me is that Juwan Jennings, who's their, like, third string wide receiver, doesn't make a ton of plays. But every time they need him to make a play, he makes a play. Kyle Juszczyk, too. And, and the best fullback. Good good call, James. And the best fullback yeah. in, in, fo- in football. Yeah, I mean, they got a fullback who can make catches that nobody on New England's roster, no no receiver on New England's roster can make. That's right. what we're watching. You know, they lost Kendrick Bourne, and Jawan Jennings just kind of stepped right in, and you didn't notice the drop-off no, at all. He fills that role in that offense perfectly. Yep. Um, and, you know, he's just a – I mean, to be fair, it's also a lot easier to get guys to do that when he's always going to be the fifth most explosive player guy on the field with the skill players and he's always going to draw the easiest right. assignments but 100 you win them and that's that's what matters um you saw Detroit Stevens and Max really get worked in the second half and you know the the luck went their way I think I know we're going to get into the fourth down decision stuff but I also don't think that's what decided this game what decided this game was the Lions lost the turnover battle or I think it was a tied turnover battle in this game it was one on each side I think so yeah yeah and and the Lions should have won it they had opportunities for interceptions they didn't get, and they put the ball on the ground. And I think if the Lions win the turnover battle like they probably should have in this game, um, and I think there's maybe one or two plays in there we want back, they win. Or at least, you know, it's going to come down to who has the ball last in the fourth quarter type of thing. But also, like Detroit's defense isn't that good, and it shouldn't be super shocking that they didn't force those turnovers. I think ex- even though they had opportunities to, you know, expecting them to make those plays, it's not something they've done all season long. Right. And, you know, they were who we thought they were, a defense that is spunky and can be schemed up to do things. But all in all, just isn't that good outside of a couple of players. And you put those corners against those receivers, and it's not shocking this is the result you get. Yeah, yeah. And so I just think, you know, it's difficult, and and look, there's some there's difficult arguments and there's difficult conversations to happen on all sides of the ball. And I understand, I get it. The Lions weren't as good. They just, frankly, they weren't as good as the Forty ers and I think everyone knew that. And so, the forced down decisions. Look, look. I'm not going to sit up here and, and and call Dan Campbell an idiot. I'm not going to do that. Okay, Dan Campbell has been about this. He's been about this life all game, all year, really, all mm-hmm. three years. Okay, what because he does. that's you know, that's the culture there, and that's the thing. He says, "I'm going to bet on my guys. I'm going to believe in my guys. I'm always going to go for it." He says that, and so if if that's the situation that he says, then I believe him, and that's paid off for him over the course of his career. There, he's built that culture up. The guys believe in themselves. They believe in him. They believe in what they're doing there, and that's great. And so I'm not going to sit here and question the fourth down decision making because that's who he is. If you know Reynolds catches the pass on that third down, 
we're having a very different conversation. If Reynolds catches that pass yeah. and they score a touchdown, we're having a very, very different conversation. Yeah. Right? Even if they even if it still turns into a field goal drive, but you run the clock down right. more and you get a instead right. of a forty five yarder, you get a chip shot. You know, Correct. that changes things. And so and so, but here's my issue. And and James pointed one thing out that I'll talk about. Number one, at the end of the first half, you're about that life. I'm about that life. I'm going for it. I trust my guys. I'm going for it every time. If it's fourth down, I believe in my guys, and I believe we're going to pick it up. Well, unless it's the end of the first half, and we're already up by 14, so I'll take the three points. Well, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. If if you are going to go for it every time, and you believe in your guys, and you trust your guys, go for it. Do what you do. Right. And so, here's the thing. And don't don't give me, don't give me, don't give me. Well, they would have, you know, there's no advantage with the with the field position. Was there an advantage with the field position when they went for it the other two times? Because there wasn't. And so I mean, there, my, there, there wasn't. Is, no, there wasn't. They were at the great. 25. They're the 25 yard line. It's not like they were, you know, it's not like they were at the 10. And then you're pinning them deep. They weren't. They weren't. There was no advantage or field position on either of the two ones. If you're going to go for it, go for it. Because I'm telling you right now, if you score a touchdown there and you go up 21 points going into the half, the game's probably over. Yeah. The game's probably over at that point. Right. Right? And, it, and it, it felt, I mean, the way they offered there, it felt like they were 50-50 on what they were going to do. And I think what Campbell yep. said after the game was that if it were, I think, one yard closer, they would have. But it was just far Foolish. enough away that they were – yeah, they weren't sure about it. Here, here's my thing. I just I don't like in the discussion the fact that we talk about their the the other ones, and we'll get. I know there's another play you want to talk about at the end of the game. So we'll work our yeah. way down to that. But the two right. fourth downs they went for for it. I don't like the discussion that it's an automatic three points there. They got a field goal kicker who has only been there for four games. It's Michael Badgley who has like a. He's, he has not been a good kicker in his career. He missed two extra points for the Lions already this season. They, they Four for four on field goals, but they only asked him to make four of them. Only one of them was from 40 yards or more. And he hasn't kicked outside for them all season long. In addition to that, he is a – I have the numbers here because I, I bookmarked this earlier. He was like a 77.1% career um, – what do you call it? Hit percentage on field goals of that range, which is not good. That's you know three quarters of the time yeah. you make it. Twenty five percent of the time you don't. That's very significant, and that's now not including the indoor outdoor stuff. He's played indoors or in really good climates most of his career. On um, the flip side of it, if we say he makes that kick roughly seventy five percent of the time, this year the Lions on fourth and three or less have converted it eighty percent of the time. San Francisco has allowed you to convert those 71% of the time this year. So I think if you're, if we're just playing, you know, like what's, what's more likely to happen here, you're more likely to pick up those yards than you are to make that kick with that kicker. And then you add in, they've been watching this dude in practice. If he hasn't looking good, like they haven't asked him to make any difficult kicks this season. Right. Um, sure. So those are not gimmies. And if, you know, we can bash the decision all we want. If they kick it and he misses, we're all sitting here talking about, you know, why didn't they go for it or right. the camp or whatever. And yeah, uh, and they both would have been 45 plus. So it's not like they were chip shot field goals, right? And so 45 and 47 yards 47. from the guy who's yeah. like 
what uh, uh, one step above Chad Ryland in the playoffs. Right. Which right. The fact that that's your kicker in a game like this is its own secondary concern. But right. Yeah, well, and this is it, this is my point. But the point that I have, and this is this is the the Belichick thing, right? Now, this is where I'll go back to Belichick. Bill Belichick doesn't give a shit what you think. He doesn't mm-hmm. care. He doesn't care what you think. If he believes in something, he's doing it. He went for it on fourth and two at his own 25-yard line or 30-yard line, whatever it was, because he knew he couldn't stop Peyton Manning, and he knew the only way he could win was by doing that. Dan Campbell has put his trust into these guys, and we can talk about analytics and go back and forth, and, well, analytically, what's the best thing to do? He doesn't care about that. No, you're I, not going to hear that I word really once in his honestly explanation. Honestly, don't believe that he cares about the analytics. I don't, I, and I think maybe they, it's some part of it, but I think for the majority of it, it's we just believe in our guys. We believe we can pick it up, right? And so, you know, to quote my buddy Jeff, kickers are stupid, and they miss field goals. It's what they do. It's just what they do. You know they're going to do unless it. Unless you got Adam Vinatieri, unless you have Adam Vinatieri or maybe Justin Tucker. Kickers are dumb and they're going to miss field goals. It's just the way it is. And so I'd rather trust my offense than trust my kicker. Fine. And that's okay. I have I have absolutely no problem with that. And that's and so Light Engine hits it on that. He would have been a genius if they got it. If they pick up that first down and they win the game, we're all sitting here saying, man, the brass balls on that guy to go for it and pick it. So it's like just because they lost doesn't make it a bad decision. And so, you know, and that's the, it's, it's the process. It's not the outcome. That's, you always have to look at the process, not the outcome. Because again, if they win, he's getting all the credit today, but they lost. So he's getting all the blame today. And that, and so, and and you want, you want the proof of that? We just talked about the entire Chiefs Ravens games, barely even mentioned in there that the Chiefs went for it on fourth down in that game and didn't get it. And the Ravens Ravens went for it on fourth down and did get it. They right. Ravens win that game. I'm sure we're going to be talking about, oh, why did the Chiefs go for it or whatever? But yeah. you know, I think it's I think the other thing, you look at the the actual win probability things, you know, the suggestions made. Seth Walter had a very long tweet he put up last night talking about um, you know, his thoughts on this. And it was basically that if you have all the same information the model does and it says you are slightly better doing this thing, you should probably do that thing. Even if it's only slightly better. It is, you know, we think probability-wise, this is more likely. But also, in a situation like this where it is, it's just a, a hair difference between kicking it or going for it. Um, you trust, you got to take into account information the model doesn't know. Things the model doesn't know includes what your kicker has done in practice, the way he's been hitting kicks there. What the model doesn't know is if you have a tell or a tendency on the other defense and you think you have a play call that can expose it. You got something dialed up, you know, you knew you were going to go for it in fourth down and you knew you had a go-to play for that moment, ready to go. You practiced all week, things like that, that you can't take into account in the model. And you know, they got a guy open on the first one. Right. And he just dropped it. He didn't and go bad throw from golf. And then the second one, I, you know, the, the 49ers should beat them. They fooled them. They right. went out there and they showed man defense switched into zone at the snap and it was a man beater that they called and nobody is open and then there's pressure and you know the last place you want jerry golf to be is trying to escape the pocket trying to create with his legs and and hit somebody down the field that's not where he thrives so right uh you know i think you gotta you gotta give credit to the 49ers for making better plays in those pivotal leverage moments you know that's what football is all about it comes in well, the playoffs. It comes down to these one or two hair trigger plays at points, and it's who makes the better play in that moment. 
Right. And that's, you know, and Boomer points out, like, you know, it, you talk about momentum, right? And if the if the Chief, if the Lions on the first one kick the field goal and go back up by three scores, it takes some momentum away from the Chiefs, uh, from the 49ers, I'm sorry. And I agree with you. But if they pick up the first down and score a touchdown and make it 21, that takes a hell of a lot more momentum out of it. And, and it's all of, and, and the way that that's phrased, it's just like, there's the underlying assumption there that if you kick the field goal, he makes it. And if you right. go for it on fourth down, you won't get it. Correct. But we don't we don't know that. Actually, historically, when the Lions go for it on fourth down in this range, they get it right. most of the time. And when they kick right. it, it's a little bit shaky. And, um, right. And so you know, look, ultimately what it comes down to is this. If you disagree with Dan Campbell, I, I don't necessarily blame you for disagreeing with Dan yeah. Campbell because I get it. I understand. I wanted him to take the points too. I was at my, I yeah, was in my house claiming that he should have freaking yeah. kicked the field goal, especially when they were down three. I'm like, tie the damn game and see if you can, you know, if they get the ball and score a touchdown, now you're only down by a touchdown. And so, you know, the first one I argued about, fine. You want to, you want to go for it, go for it. The second one, it's like, kick the damn field goal. But again, if you miss, it's a disaster, right? And so he just, the guys. And it's 47 yards. I think, you know, you gotta you gotta examine in there why you're in this position where you're thinking about which way you want to go and you don't feel right. like you can trust the kicker. Um that's and so definitely, but yeah. here's here's the here's the thing for me. And and this is the this is the one thing for me, the inexcusable one, the, mm-hmm. the one that you cannot get away from is the decision to run at the goal line at the end of the game. Is yeah. so incredibly stupid because you have to burn a timeout if you don't score. Now, now listen, if you wanted to run in that situation, I would have had my kicker ready to go and I would have sprinted his ass onto the field and kicked it as quickly as I could have if he didn't score. Yep. That's what I would have done. You. Down two it scores anyways, time. it would have saved you some time, would have been no big deal. Hit the ball back. Again, I don't know, you know, I don't know in that situation what, you know. If that would have been a good idea with Michael Badgley, he's not a good kicker. But like, if that's really what you wanted to do, fine. But to me, to run it in that situation was just was just so stupid. It was so stupid, and that's that's the issue that I have with them. It's inexcusable. You can't do it. You had three timeouts and, and a minute left. If you score a touchdown in that situation, or even if you don't. And I believe that they were going for touchdown there. I don't. I think. I mean, they showed it on fourth down. They were going for touchdown. But to me, you know, if you're going for touchdown there, you have to throw it four times. You have to, or run yeah. it on fourth down instead. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, fourth down you can run if you want. But they just right. they got too they got they overthought it. They got too fancy. And you know, I think this is we saw the Lions on three situational plays lose and their defense got obliterated in the second half. And that's really what it was. I mean, I saw, I've seen a lot of criticism too of what happened with like Dan Campbell and the lions. And I think it's impossible to look at this game and think like they're only in this game because they have Dan Campbell and there you guys are fired up. Look at the roster. (laughs) Look at the guys they're putting out there on defense. They're going against the 49ers with no decent corners and one decent safety and like one and a half decent linebackers. And right. like a kind of okay defensive line on the road, yeah. The outside, game, with with a kicker you don't trust and yeah. a uh, and Jared Goff is your quarterback. Yeah, this is the situation we're talking about, and 
they lose by three in the NFC Championship game, you only get to that point because you're incredibly well prepared and because um, you got guys who are fired up and playing above what they will the level they will typically play at. And that's, you know, Dan Campbell is a huge, huge part in that. And, you know, Ben Johnson, Aaron Glenn also in that. I think they they made good adjustments. They had good plays ready to go. They exposed some things for the Niners. Just well, that's why I would I would totally push back. TJ says the Lions were great because of Ben Johnson and not Dan Campbell. And I just think I think that that's foolish in my opinion. I Ben Johnson did a really nice job in calling the offense all year long, put them in positions to win and and so on and so forth. But like, I'm sorry, like it's just not like they. He set a culture in that locker room. You think that culture came from Ben Johnson? That culture came from Dan Campbell. They're there, like you and, said, because of those things. And so that's the argument I would make is, and look, is it perfect? No. Is he a great game manager? Not necessarily, but he's built that feeling into those guys that we are going to win. We're going to step on yeah. the field. We're going to be better, and we're going to win this game, whether it's true or not. And Murphy calls him an idiot. And and like the problem is that the problem is is that when it doesn't work, you look like a dummy, right? And that that's the problem. But you can't worry about that. Bill never worried about that, and neither does Dan Campbell. No, and I think I forgot somebody said this on Twitter, and I wish I could give credit because I don't remember who it was, but uh, they were talking about why Dan Campbell is the way he is with his decision making on offense, and it's not like analytics or anything like that. He was um, with the Saints when they had Drew Brees and Sean Payton. That team was very aggressive on fourth down. Mm-hmm. And you remember because they'd line up for it on fourth down and you're an opposing fan and you're sitting there and your palms are getting sweaty and you're like, man, we stopped him three plays in a row. I don't know if we could do it four plays in a row. And right. they'd strike fear into you and they're going to win games because of it. And I think having that – aggression trusting your offense to go out there and make plays empowering those guys and getting that on your side like that's he's a player's coach he gets his guys going because of that and he trusts them to make plays and you strike fear into an opponent because of that and i also think the adjusting part of it is not really him like he's more of a ceo guy than he is a coordinator he's not calling plays he's not saying let's do this and let's do that he's trusting ben johnson and aaron glenn to make the right calls offensively and defensively and he is, you know, he's the emotional leader, right? And yeah. again, sometimes that works really well. And sometimes you get in a situation like this where it all starts to spiral on you and you can't get it back, right? And I think that that's part of it. When you play with so much emotion, when the emotions switch, it's hard to get it back. And they struggled getting it back, obviously, well, on Sunday. Well, and it's it's hard to tackle Christian McCaffrey for 60 That's minutes awesome. in a game. Yep. And now and we're, talking about guys, and we're talking about guys who aren't that good trying to do it. I mean, I think that's also like you, this is a point where you run out of adjustments and the players just aren't that good. Go take a yeah. look at this Lions roster outside of some of the really good players that they have and look at some of the depth in some of the spots and tell me that I just forget the coaching. Just say they're playing an NFC championship game at the 49ers. Will this game be close? If you look at the names and the, of how the, and how these guys have played and all that, and you just put the two rosters side by side, you're going to say it's a blowout. But yeah. the fact that they have gotten you know really good play in the trenches on both sides, largely because of effort and type of player and the CEO stuff you talk about with Campbell, um, 
super impressive for him to elevate them. And you know, what I also appreciated last night how honest he was with his guys in the locker room. They talked about it. I think we have a tendency to sit here and go, they're going to be back next year. But we don't know if the Lions are going to be back next year. Their offensive coordinator is probably gone. Their defensive coordinator possibly as well. He's gotten some interviews. And we saw what the Packers did at the end of the season and how good Jordan Love looks. Kirk Cousins might be back there in Minnesota. The Bears are probably going to add the number one overall pick at quarterback. It's not even a guarantee this is a Lions team that makes the postseason next year, let alone gets to the NFC Championship game. Um, right. And I think kind of letting his players know that, you know, this is this hurts and this is painful, but also we accomplished a lot. And don't don't take it for granted that we got here. Enjoy what we had. Um that, that emotional honesty to have that with your players is how you build that trust in those relationships. And that's how you get the best out of them. Uh, so yeah. the next year they come back fired up knowing, Hey, we're not just going to get back there. We need to earn it again. We need to take it to another level next year. And that's how you, that's how you get guys to buy in. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat as a head coach too. You know, you got yeah. the emotional leader types, you got the players, coaches, you got the, analytical geniuses you have the 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 scheme guys you have the stone-faced bill belichick a lot of these different mike tomlin has super bowl rings kyle shanahan's been there a ton we see what we got going on all over the league like pete carroll won rings it's a lot of different types of guys that win rings and are really good leaders for franchises so uh, there's a lot of good ways dan campbell's doing a good job there in detroit and all right culture wise they won't drop off that's correct. All right, let's get into let's get into my mock draft because as uh, Jaden Daniels the Patriot pointed out, uh, <laughs> it is mock time. I agree. I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry, JD is the Patriot. He's, he's going to be he's going to be, be disappointed by my by my mock, but that's okay. Um, Maybe not though. Maybe not. One thing, make a uh, make a mental note on this. I want to chat about because the Chiefs are playing allegedly if they win the Super Bowl the best combine uh, the best average DVOA percentage uh, supposedly. Of all time, and that's, yeah. and that's fine, and I, and I believe that. I just don't understand how DVOA is calculated, and and here's why: in 2001, the Patriots played against the Raiders, who had a top seven offense. They played against the Steelers, who had a top five offense and defense, and they played against the Rams, who had a top five offense. And defense, and so I just, I just don't understand. And look, look, not now. Nope, nope. Don't explain it now. It's too late. We're not. We're getting right into my mock. But file that away. We're gonna have a DVOA conversation on on Thursday. Okay. Can I add one Patriots related? Oh yes. Go ahead. Yes. So of the top five teams that have made like the hardest playoff runs of all time, three of them were teams that went through New England as right, which is true. That run. Yeah. Yep. Um, which is also like that's a nice little nice little boost to the ego that when the some of the hardest accomplishments ever had to go through you to get it done. I think the 07 Giants are in there. 07 Giants are second place right now. Yeah. Eleven yeah. Giants I saw on the list too. Yeah. I don't know if the eleven ones were, but I know the, the yes, 2012 Ravens were in there. So it might yeah. be yeah. I think if those three are all in well, the top five, I'll have to go through New England. Yep. So, anyways, all right. Let's get into let's get into my mock draft from from today. Um, Came out on Pat's Pulpit. But if you haven't read it yet, go to patspulpit.com. Uh, it's still up there. Obviously, it's still going to be up there. Um, and so I, I don't listen. It, we we talked about this already. I don't know what Chicago is going to do at number one. I have no idea what Chicago is going to do. They have to make a decision. Do they want 
Justin Fields, or do they want to draft Caleb Williams? I think Caleb Williams is a surefire number one. I was told by a ton of people today when they when they saw my mock draft that Caleb Williams is too small to play quarterback in the NFL. It's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. Caleb Williams is too small. Uh, he's He is, I think someone said to me, he is the least likely of all the quarterbacks to be good in the NFL, which I thought was interesting. Um, and so I, I don't really know what people are thinking. Of but nevertheless, I had the Patriots moving up to number one to draft Caleb Williams. What I had them giving up was number three, number 103, which is projected because we don't know what the comp picks are yet, which is a fourth round pick, Patriots fourth round pick, and a 2025 first round pick to Chicago to move up to number one. Now, that's a lot or it isn't a lot, depending on someone said that it's like 3,000 points was to move up from to, uh, like a future first round pick is 3,000 points, which is complete insanity. But it doesn't matter. That's not true. I know. I, I I I don't know what he's looking at. Doesn't matter. To me, that's enough to get to three, to get from three to one. To get, I mean, we saw what it took for to get from nine to one, right? Now nine is a huge jump, obviously, from three to nine, clearly. But like, to me, you have to give up that future first round pick to get up there. You have to. They're not going to accept less than that. I don't believe. And the only way I think you can get up there without offering a future first is you've got to offer probably two or three times the number of picks. Like you're right. be one of those you're giving up your third and your fourth this year and your second and your third next year. Right. Um, and to me, it's just that I, I, I would not do that. In my opinion, I, I would not do that. And by yeah, the way, then, typically the value for the, for the future picks, just so everyone's aware, typically what you do for this year is – and it, it's not it's not a one to one comparison, but usually you you count the the first pick in the second round is typically the the value that you attribute to it usually. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's it's one future picks are typically weighted as one round worse. One round worse. What right. They, than what they are. And so you'd put um, it at the top of the yeah. second round. So it'd be a top of the second round pick. So pick number thirty three yeah. would be the weight yeah. for that. Now, obviously. If you think the Patriots are going to suck, clearly that's the situation. But here's my argument, and because TJ said, you know, doesn't it typically cost two first-round picks to move it to first? Here's why, okay? Because if you're the Chicago Bears and you're keeping Justin Fields, you're drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. And the only way you can move out of number one and still get Marvin Harrison Jr. is to make the trade with the Patriots. And so you take less then you would get from, you know, name the team, Atlanta at eight or um, whatever, whoever else it is, right? Whoever else it is that wants to move up because it's not going to be anyone else in the top five, by the way, because four and five both have quarterbacks. And so it's going to be someone outside of that top five. Probably I think Atlanta is the, is the next team that really makes sense at eight, nevertheless. And so for me personally, I look at it and say, all right, I can move back to three. I'm okay moving back to three. And if that's the case, I can look at this and say, all right, I move back to three, fine. And I take Marvin Harrison Jr. And so I take a little bit less and get Marvin Harrison Jr. instead. And I think that that's, that's where it makes sense to me. Yeah, and it's also, you know, we talk about the draft pick calculator. It also gets really muddy at the top of the draft because not really trading for draft picks you're trading for specific prospects and Correct. it matters a lot more how much a team values the specific prospect 
Like mm-hmm. how much less Chicago would be willing to take here is tied directly to how highly they value Marvin Harrison Jr. That's right. that's right. really what that is. Um, and you know, if they value him a ton, I see Nixie in the chat talking about how um, you know it could be like the second and third that could get this done or whatever. Um, but like you know, Caleb Williams is considered a generational guy, and other people are going to want him. Um, yeah, like the draft kick draft pick calculator matters but you need to have a lot of wiggle room when you're at the top of the draft like this and you're almost definitely going to be overpaying based on right like that's just 100 and murph is saying too that you're giving up a top five to top 10 pick next year theoretically right and maybe you are but the thing is is that a generational quarterback there is no price that you can put on a generational quarterback if you said to me you have to give up the next four years of first-round picks, but you get Patrick Mahomes for the length of his career, I would do that yeah, in a heartbeat, in a second, yes. in a millisecond, I would do that. Of course you would. If Caleb Williams is as good as we think he's going to be, and if the Patriots believe that he is a really a generational player, it is 100% worth it to give up one future first-round pick. It's not even a question. Now, if you miss, and he's not as good as you think he is, then of course it's a disastrous trade, but you have to trust in your judgment and you have to trust in your ability to yeah. draft and scout that he really is that good. And you're giving up the pick because you need to get that guy. And so, yep. you know, and it may not, it may not work out and look, this all may be, you know, elementary. They may not do it anyways, but in my opinion, that's, you know, that's the decision you have to weigh. And if you think he's going to be that good, you make the move. And you got to take a risk in here somewhere too. You don't get a franchise quarterback without taking a risk somewhere, unless you stumble into one on day three. And that's not, you know, that's not a sustainable strategy. You're not going to build a franchise off of repeatedly hitting on the 199th pick, turning him into the greatest quarterback right. to ever play the game. Right. That's yeah. not, it'd be lovely. Uh, it'd be fantastic to happen, but you don't build around that. So I do. I mean, I like the idea of trading up. I don't think the Bears are going to do it. I just, I think they end up staying put and taking Caleb Williams. Um, And if anything, uh, if anything, I think they try, if they really want Marvin Harrison Jr., I think they try to take nine and get up to three and and take Marvin Harrison Jr. And if they got to give the Patriots a boatload to do it, I think that maybe they, maybe they do that. You know, I don't know, but that's, you know, that's, that's kind of my problem. So anyways, it's totally possible. All right, so so in the second round, I had them actually trading back in the second round. I had the Titans moving up for Donay Mitchell, uh, the wide receiver from uh, Texas, and the Patriots moved back to 38. So they pick up a fifth rounder, and they pick up a third rounder next year to do that. And again, that's a little bit of – it's a little bit extra value um, than, than what it's worth, again, on the trade calculator or whatever. But again, sometimes when you – Look at that move. It's like, hey, we want this guy. We have to get this guy. The Patriots are the second pick in the in the second round. It's a very, very valuable pick. Everyone's been sitting on it all night long. And this is the type of move. Tennessee just made this type of move last year to go get Will Levis. So it, I think it makes sense. So I have them doing that. And then I have them taking Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina at 38, who had just a disastrous way in. Literally today, when my mock draft came out at the at the at the, uh, at the senior bowl, you know, was listed at six three, 
clocked in at 6'1". His hands are like tiny. They're about the size of my hands, which is not good. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the kid looks like an absolute baller. Just it's question marks fun. as to how good he'll be. But, man, he is fast as hell, and he's pretty big. Like, I like Xavier Leggett's tape. I think he's really fun to watch. There's a lot to like about him as a prospect. It's just the one thing that's going to be held against him this entire time. He had like 450 yards in his career through his first four seasons at South Carolina and then goes off for uh, over 1,000 this year in his fifth year. It's going to be why this year. What changed? Right. What what was it? Um, And the big worry with him is that he is the oldest guy in the field in a lot of the games or one of the oldest guys on the field in a lot of the games he's playing. And Mm – it just took him that long because now, now that he's an adult playing against younger people, he can moss them and he's faster than them and he's stronger than them. And he can make plays because of that. And when he gets to the NFL, when it's all guys who are the same strength class as him, then that advantage goes away. And how can he do what? And I do think he has some good routes in there. He's a very good contested catch guy. I just think, I think in a lot of ways, he remind he's like Nikhil Harry in the SEC than the right. SEC yeah. version of Nikhil Harry in a lot of ways on tape. Um, and there, Nikhil Harry had some highlight plays. He had some really good stuff in college. But to me, when you combine that with the age thing, he's like a third rounder. Yeah. Um, yep. So I, can see I like the I like the player. I like the fit New England. I just I think would, yeah. wouldn't wouldn't go this high with him. Right. Also, Light Engine asked asked question about what Washington at two. I think they're pretty much locked in on Drake May. No one said anything about that. But they're locked in a quarterback. I, I can't imagine them not taking a quarterback. Um, and to me, the second best quarterback in the draft is Drake May. They yeah. could take Jaden Daniels, perhaps. And shoot, if I'm the Patriots and, and they're going to take Jaden Daniels, I'm sitting He's at three and I'm and I'm taking Drake May. And I'm, yeah. and look, I'm taking either Drake May or Caleb Williams, whoever the Bears don't want. If the Bears decide yeah. they want Drake May and he's their guy, then I'm taking Caleb Williams at three. And if the Bears say, yeah, we're taking Caleb Williams, then I'm taking Drake May at three. So. You know, we'll see, but there's a lot depends on those first two. Uh, I assume it'll be Drake May, but you never know. So, anyways, in the third round, I have them move back just a pick. I have them give them a future sixth and pick up a fifth round pick from the Chargers. Chargers jump them and get an offensive player. The Patriots at 69. Nice. Take take Kalen Carson, corner from Wake Forest. And here's the thing, man. And this is the thing. This is the funny thing for me. People don't think that corner is a is a position of need. We've talked about it on the show. You've like been banging this drum basically all year long. They just spent a first round pick on on Gonzo, right? He's a beast. He's really good. I like John Jones quite a bit. I love Marcus Jones. I mean, hello, love Marcus Jones. But who do they got after that? Alex Austin, like he's their next yeah. corner. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Miles Bryant. And they Jonathan don't Jones. have, and, and that's the thing. Jones, but he's older, and you know, I right. No, I mentioned that's back but, after his next contract. Well, that's what I mean. And and Kalen Carson gives you an outside corner from Wake Forest, an outside corner that you know can play outside, that has the speed and so on and so forth. So again, it's not people want offense. It's not offense. I get it, but. I think it's 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 a valuable pick. It's a pick that you need to have, um, and so I have yeah. them taking Kalen Carson. So, all right, in the fourth round. Now the Patriots have three fifth round picks after making two trade backs and picking up two extra fifth round picks. They trade two of those fifth round picks to move up to one hundred and seven with the Giants, and they take Blake Fisher, who played right tackle 
across from Joe Alt at Notre Dame. Here's the thing with me. They need a tackle desperately. Desperately they need a tackle. Now, Blake Fisher played right tackle at Notre Dame. Can he switch over and play left tackle? I don't know the answer to that question. I honestly don't. Fisher is nasty in the running game. He's smart in the passing game. He's got some, he's he ha, he's a guy that has traits and needs a little bit of polish. Is he going to yeah. start day one for you? No. He's a fourth-round pick. But he's a guy that if you develop him correctly, could turn into a player for you. Now, if you sign Michael Almonte at right tackle and you're looking at Blake Fisher saying Blake Fisher can never play left tackle for us and Mike Almonte is right tackle for the for the for the foreseeable future, then it probably doesn't make sense, right? But you know. I do think there's a world here where it's Michael Almonte slides right back to guard and right. Blake Fisher is your right tackle and you know, you got City So, Jake Andrews, Cole Strange all battling for spots, and yeah. you feel really good about your depth on the inside, which it's been we're talking about trying to fill starting spots in the offensive line and filling up depth there too with this move, I think would be nice. So yeah. I haven't gotten yeah. into his tape, but I like the profile and yeah, you know, yeah some of the position. What shows up on the tape, and I did I did cursory, you know, as I kind of always do with these picks, I do I do kind of cursory you know, a little bit of film study, a little bit of, you know, uh, scouting report, reading, and so on and so forth. And what I saw was a guy that's smart, makes the right plays, nasty in the run game. You know, again, you needs a little bit of polish in the passing game especially, but, like, he has the traits. He's got the long arms. He's got – he's, like, quicker on his feet than you'd expect for a big guy. So, like, I like that idea. Again, I don't know if he can play left tackle. That's up to I, that's way above my pay grade. He probably can't. Murph said he can't play left tackle, and he's probably right. I don't know. He's played right tackle his whole career, so like, it's tough. It'd be a tough transition for him to go to left tackle. But maybe he played right tackle because Joe Walt was a beast at left tackle, and they were like, "Bro, sorry, dude. What do you want us to do?" Like, is Joe Walt? You know what I mean? And so again, I don't know. You know, and so and so that's up to that's up to the Patriots. That's up to people that are making decisions that again are getting paid a hell of a lot more than I'm getting paid. So um, and they, they need a lot here at tackle. And you know, the the other part we haven't talked about is there's a world where Michael Wenu isn't back and you're trying to fill a lot of spots here on the offensive right. line and you just gotta throw bodies at it. Uh, right. Well and the other thing too is that, yeah. you know, it's the fourth round. Are you getting a legitimate starting left tackle in the fourth round? Probably not. But if you can get a legitimate starting right tackle in the for, in the uh, in the fourth round, yeah. then maybe it's worth it, you know. So, and it, and um, even if, if this if this guy turns into you know we'll say better than a Connor McDermott level guy, but even you know a guy you can throw out there who is a very good swing tackle, even in the fourth round, you'll take that because if you don't have to fill out your depth at tackle, you can go spend a little more, you can go make a trade for somebody, or you know when. You can take a risk on whoever the next Trent Brown is and know that if he gets hurt, you got to back up behind him and you feel good about that. So it right. gives you those right. options going forward. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Fifth round, they're taking Ben Sinnott, tight end out of te- uh, Kansas State. He's not some physical freak, but what I liked about it is that the first comparison that comes up is Jake Ferguson. And that's the type of guy that I'm looking for. He's not George Kittle. He's not, but like, get me a guy that can block and get out and catch the ball. And that's exactly what Ben Sinnott can do. I took, um, I took him in my mock too, Pat. <laughs> oh, did you? I missed it. Yeah. You know what? I tried not to do it yeah. and I missed it, but that's okay. Um, no, but I love it. That's a that's a deep a deep hit there that we yeah. both like. Yep. Yeah, he was so, he was I think 
if I'm remembering correctly, like a top five run blocker at tight end in the country so. for yeah. PFF and also the leader on his team in receptions. Yeah. Um, so that's the yeah, type of guy so you're looking for, you know, and, yeah. and especially they got no one at tight end, literally no one. They picked up LaMichael Petaway. And that's what they got at tight end right now. I'm so they, they're going to sign yeah, some guys, but you know, yeah, they're not going to have nobody when they get to the draft. But that's correct. You, know, you got to yeah. when it's tight ends a spot at day two, day three, you can find guys. And right. sometimes it takes three years before you know you found somebody good. But you just kind of throw picks at the position there, and eventually you're going to get somebody good. Yep. So second to last pick, sixth round, I have Dylan Lob. Lob, right? Is how you pronounce well, it. I think it's Loba. Loba. Okay, from New Hampshire. Not a local guy, born in, born in New York, but went to school in New England. And this guy is a running back to me. The guy, he had 117 cast, catches over the last two seasons, right? What I've heard from people is that he's going to be at the Senior Bowl this week. There's a good chance he won't be available in the sixth round after this week at the Senior Bowl. What I also heard from people was that well, you know what? If someone goes down at the Senior Bowl and they don't have enough wide receivers, he can play wide receiver. <laughs> we can run with the wide receivers. Now, he's a running back. He's 5'10". He's a small guy. He's, he's a running back build. But he's got the pass-catching skills to be a receiver out of the backfield, to like fit in, to play slot every now and again if you need him to. Yeah. That's the exact type of guy the Patriots are looking for and have been needed. They tried to get it with, uh, with uh, Strong. Didn't work, right? And so this could be the guy that comes in. Again, you might have to take him in the fifth round. You might even have to take him in the fourth round. But I like the idea of bringing this guy in. Yeah. Explosive. Yeah. Explosive is what I'm looking at. Yeah. It's, I looked it up, by the way. It's Lauby. That's how Lauby. you say it. Jill, okay, there Jill you go. And Lauby. So, yeah. There you go. Uh, he's a, a good, good product. I'm actually friends with his brother, too, who does, he does some NFL draft content on on Twitter, and he's a coach, Jordan Lauby. So, should yeah, so there you go. How about that? How about that? So, all right, last pick, seventh round pick, Evan Anderson, defensive line, FAU, 6'3", 326. Kind of a big dude. A big dude in the middle. I like it. Uh, he was wrecking things at uh, out of FAU. He was wrecking things at the Shrine Bowl, at Shrine Bowl practice all week long, dominating on in- interior of the defensive line. Of course, you know, he got he got worked a few times out there, but looked really good, played really well. He's the type of guy that he's not he's not an explosive pass rusher, but he's got he's got a little bit. He's a little bit quicker than than he looks, than his size would would have him show you. Doesn't have a ton of like moves. He's not super polished in the passing game, but like with the athleticism that he brings with his size, you feel like we can develop him into something, right? And in a seventh round pick, it's like friggin' just just like take it and see what happens, you know? This is and this is a Bill Belichick special right here. I mean, I think of like Sam Roberts and you know, yeah, how they've right. Who was there's some guy who I don't think worked out, but they took some small school defensive lineman on day three before, like maybe a Division two guy or something who's a freak athlete. Ah, uh, yes. I there's, a, there's, an, there's a name right. bouncing around in my head, and I don't think it's the same guy, but Michael Look, B. Cannon may have been in that mold. Yeah, even like Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks was a, he was yeah. a UDFA, like same thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like that's just – defensive line is a spot where you just need athletes and you need yeah. depth. And right. that's a position where you can draft a guy and keep 
keep him around the bottom of your roster for a while and develop him. And maybe in year three, he's Lawrence guy for you. you know, best case. But even, you know, Sam Roberts has been a decent rotational piece for New England this past season. We'll see what he turns into in year three. Uh, so, you know, drafting guys like that is something you can always use. And mm-hmm. an athlete like that is somebody you can use on special teams, I am sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's you get an athlete like that you're happy with. Yep, exactly. So apparently Mike Debate, Murph says Mike Debate talked him up on the show yesterday. So Mike's seeing the same thing where you are, which is good. So I'm happy to see that. Yeah. So yeah. Sp- speaking of, we got um I was looking at some of the Shrine Bowl senior bowl stuff. I don't know if you've seen the receivers out there, but the name the, the one name that I'm looking at is Malik Washington. I've yes. Mentioned him on here before. But he yep. is the Virginia kid. I think four years at Northwestern. Now he's at Virginia and he just put up crazy numbers. He's getting great separation. I think he, I don't remember if he's trying or senior, but I'm pretty sure he's senior. And really excited to see how he looks in this game because you know, we talked about it. There's so many elite receivers who have just kind of played at small schools and flown beneath the radar and then break out late and they get caught in the senior bowl late and you get them on the round five and now it's Cooper Cup. Yeah. Yeah. True. So I don't know, man. He's not, he's not the only guy like that either. This year. There's a number of guys in that profile. And you know, you want another pop Douglas, you can get another pop Douglas in this draft. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's it. That does it for my mock. So we'll see what happens. We, we're going to have more. So as we said, and I haven't mentioned this to you yet, Matt, but it, I was looking at the, at the, just at the timeline, how it worked out. If we do once every two weeks, so in two weeks, you do your mock. Then two weeks after yeah, that, I do my Super mock. And so on and so forth. That's right. So, so every two weeks we do a mock, and then when we hit April, we do a mock every week. Mm-hmm. That will lead us into draft week. The last one will be, I think, my mock on the Monday before the draft, and I think we'll have each done either five or six mocks for the for the summer. And I think that'll be great. I think that's perfect. Uh, yeah. If we want to go a little bit earlier, we can go a little bit earlier. But I think that that makes the most sense um, to do that. So, yeah. so we're going to be having them every few weeks. We're probably going to be doing. We might even do what I think would be fun if we did a live, you know, one or once or twice did a live mock on here. I think it'd be fun if we did a live mock, a full first round live mock, and had someone on with us. So we're going to do a ton of mock draft stuff. We're going to be talking a ton about the draft, obviously. Clearly, stuff to talk about in free agency. You got to you got to assume that there's going to be a ton of moves that that get made. So, um. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun off season. It's gonna be a fun off season. Yeah. I'm, a ton of stuff going yeah, on. I'm I'm ready for actual moves to get here too because you know there's we're gonna have the Super Bowl and you got like a dead month yeah ish there right. and that's uh that's where all the stuff happens behind the scenes and I don't right. want it behind the scenes. I want to find out what's actually going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So thanks, Murph. Thanks for everyone. Thanks everyone oh, for tuning get, in. We should, get, we should get coaches this week too. Hopefully, I would hope yes. there's some higher guys. Yes. So it does look like Demarcus Covington is the guy on D- at DC. They haven't officially announced it yet, but it's basically officially announced. I think it's a good hire. I think it makes a lot of sense. Love that. Um, yeah. It also looks like Mike Vrabel's not getting a job. Maybe Mike Vrabel will come in as an assistant head coach. We talked about that already, but we'll see what happens there. But um, but I'm still holding on hope that, that something like that happens. And they, got, so. and they got Clint Kubiak, who's the 49ers pass game coordinator, if I have that right. Yep. That's correct. Um, yep. Interviewing him and there's they're high, I think they're interviewing like eleven candidates for offensive coordinators. Yeah, so they're doing they, their due they diligence, which I'd like to they, see. 
one of the Raiders guys, which I actually thought there, I think it's the Raiders pass game coordinator or something like that was who they're interviewing. Um, name is escaping me, but that's Turner. Yeah, Scott I don't Turner. know. I don't but know. That, the yeah, reason that right. call, yeah, you might be right. Uh, Norv's North Sun, right? The North Sun. I'm pretty sure the name. The yeah. reason this one caught my eye is because if McDaniel's were to end up being the offensive coordinator, you do wonder about you know interviewing a guy like that with the intention of then bringing him in for a role in New England with McDaniel's. Yeah, um, that's true. So we'll see. But and then another note here while we're talking: if it's Clint Kubiak and you got a 49ers pass game coordinator come to be your offensive coordinator, a name to watch in free agency. And we're all going to cringe the second I say it, but it, oh, I think no. it has to be said: is Sam Darnold. You need a backup, at least. Yeah. And you know, you're you kind of want a high ceiling reclamation project type guy in that role, who's also willing to sit behind uh, a starter if you get to that point and you draft somebody, and if you can bring in a Sam Darnold who would have familiarity with the offense, who's a free agent like that. You know, it's a, I'm not jumping for joy over here at the thought of Sam Darnold playing for the Patriots, but you got to fill the position, and he kind of hits a lot of the boxes. And you know, maybe you, maybe you, in year you draft in 2018, in year six or seven of his career, or whatever this would be, then maybe he finds something the way Geno Smith did. Probably not, but it's not totally insane to think that, yeah. even the way Baker Mayfield has. Right. Yeah, you never know. You never know. It probably I, doesn't, but you know. Listen, I advocated for it back in 2021, trading for Sam Donald, so I'm, I'm here for it as a backup quarterback. This is, and this is life in the NFL when you don't have a quarterback. You yep. you got to talk yourself into some options and uh, take correct. as many chances as possible. Oh, you know what we didn't mention at all, which we should wrap up here with quickly? The Mac Jones article today. I didn't think people were taking this article to be like a – rehabbing max image we're going to keep him in new england thing and that's how the headline read and then you read the article and it mm-hmm. is not that matt's not like the team doesn't come off good in the article but we do that max handling of things still comes off pretty poorly yeah yeah it just never really sat right with me the way mac kind of acted throughout the year he just you know i don't know and it just seems well, like you know like you said you pointed out in the group chat like yeah. he had a stinger couldn't feel his arm. He couldn't feel his throwing arm. That's what he. That's what just he said. Didn't tell anyone? Like, what are you doing, yeah. dude? Well, and it's the way the sequence is too. They said that he, he gets a stinger and can't feel his throwing arm. I watched the series. I went back and watched this. The Patriots Colts game for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah. And he gets a, in that late drive in the fourth quarter. He gets a stinger on a hit, and then the next play he throws it, and it's a completion to Mario Douglas. A big completion underneath pass goes and gets them down into the red zone. I think they run it three or four times in a row. And then it's Mac Jones's pass to Mike Kosicki that comes off about 15 yards short and gets intercepted. Yeah. But the way it's described in the article and then the way it happens on the field just doesn't, it doesn't match to me. Nothing about the way Mac acts makes it seem like his arm was numb. Right. Nothing about the hit made it seem like it would impact his arm at all. Now, obviously, you know, if it's a pinched nerve or sting or something, like it can be a back or a neck thing and still impact the arm, but it wasn't it wasn't an abnormal hit. And like the article describes him like limping off not limping off the field, but walking off the field and like he can't lift his arm at all. And that's not at all what's actually happening. And then what's also described is that he through the interception because he couldn't feel his arm then comes off the field tells nobody that's why and then is surprised when he gets benched for baby zappy um i'm sorry but like it 
this you're an adult life in the NFL. If something like that happens to you, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to let people know, hey, this is a medical issue. This is why. And that was if he couldn't feel his arm, that means that, that third down where he's thrown it to Mario Douglas, that he got that pass off completely right. fine right. with no issues. And if it's third down, you can't feel your arm and you're the quarterback. You should be letting the trainers know because you should not be the guy in there making that play. If that's that is correct, if that's where we are. Um, you know, like you're not Tom Brady. You haven't earned the right to just stay in no matter what. You know, if you got an injury, you got to. Uh, and there's other stuff in there too, but um, there's there's another quote in there too. It was kind of a side story in here, but that caught my eye. It's a quote from one of the receivers that was talking about how, oh yeah, we just we just our room didn't get it together until it was too late in the season. I'm like, didn't get it together until it was too late in the season. When did you get it together? Never got it together. At what point did you get it together? Yeah. What is your self-evaluation if you thought you got it together at some point in the season? Because yeah. put on yeah. the tape and show me. I haven't seen it. That's brutal. And then, so, I, I, you know, the whole thing, the whole operation, Max got to go. I think, you know, I'm very, very, very worried that the Patriots going to look at this and say, Bill did Mac wrong. We still believe in Mac. We're going to run it back with him again next year. I think that that would be a disaster of a mistake. And, you know, and oh, by the way, well, he had three offensive coordinators in three years. And so, oh, so you're going to give him a fourth offensive coordinator in four years because that's well, going to bring Josh McDaniels back. Like, what are we but, talking about? You know, so and well, maybe, maybe they bring McDaniels back, but it's just, you know. Well, and if they're, if the Patriots go into this draft thinking there's only two guys that we think could be franchise guys. And that's two guys who are not going to be there at pick three. We can't yeah. make a move up for him, and we're just not getting a guy we like this year. If they want to say we're going to get rid of Zappy, we're going to sign Brissett or Sam Darnold or you know whatever backup quarterback you want, and we're going to have a QB competition with them and Mac for this season, knowing full well that this is a short-term solution, I can get behind. Not a solution either, either, by the way. No, but a solution yeah, until you can abandoned. draft someone in the top five next year. Yeah, because the only thing worse than like, yeah, that's, don't draft somebody at three for quarterback just to draft a quarterback at three even if you don't believe in them. That is an awful way to do things. I'd rather kick it out a year and we'll figure it out in twenty twenty five and draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I agree. And, you know, the tone of the tone of the article is basically like they're not picking up the fifth year option. Maybe, maybe he could be back. So I don't even think it's setting up for anything. They save money too if they get rid of him. Um, if you bring Mac Jones back, get rid of Bailey Zappi, and you're only keeping Mac because you think he can come into campus the third QB and possibly compete for a spot with other people you bring in, that yeah, that's yeah. fine. I don't, I don't hate care that, about that, but yeah, yeah. So we'll you're not if you're going into if you go into camp with him as the presumed starter with no real competition for him. This is like that's not a serious way to handle things. What are we doing? I agree. I agree. So, anyways, all right, let's get the heck out of here. It's been an hour and a half. Thank you, everyone, for uh, for coming through. We appreciate it, Murph. Don't ever apologize for being all over the chat. We love the chat. We love people in the chat love interacting. You, That's why we do it. That's why we're here live. So don't ever apologize. You got something to say. Flip and say it, man. That's what we want. That's why we're here. So thank you, everyone. We appreciate it. And we'll be back on Thursday night. Thursday Take night. care, guys.